Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Today, I was I was texting a friend in California, and I said, uh, I'm just waiting for things to happen. And she said, yes, I know that feeling. I've been waiting for the world to right itself. And I thought, I bet a lot of us are doing that. There are so many things. Um, Adam doesn't really understand the concept of plague. In fact, we had to explain the concept of germs to him when the pandemic hit. So we just call it the sickness. When the sickness is over, we will do X, Y, and Z. When we, X, Y, and Z for you non-Americans, look at how I can speak both languages. It's amazing. No, it's not. Um, But I think a lot of people have been saying uh, when pick your poison really when the fires stop in california when um we're all out of covid lockdown when there is finally justice in the american social and political system like when this happens life will be so much better and it's true and it's worth waiting for those things but the problem is that if you focus just on waiting life becomes absolutely unbearable, which is why waiting rooms are such notoriously unpleasant places. If you do any meditation, you will eventually hear people telling you to use meditation in a waiting room because waiting rooms are awful. And the reason they're so awful is that when you're waiting, you're fixated on something in the future and you have suspended your like delight in the world until that thing happens. So when Eckhart Tolle goes to speak, he always gets up and he says, I hope none of you are waiting for me to start speaking. Well, they're all just sitting there in a, you know, in a conference hall or a ballroom or wherever they happen to be. Of course, they're waiting for him to start speaking. What he's pointing out, though, is that in the moment that you're sitting there waiting for someone to start speaking, you are not really present for your life and that this create some degree of suffering. So the book I just wrote that's not out yet is about integrity, which means being one thing. And my whole premise is that the source of much, much like all of our suffering is when that that which is present in this moment, which is the only thing that ever really is, gets torn away from what we are thinking about our lives or our situations. So it's not so much that waiting is painful, it's that when you are focused on a future possible happening, you have torn yourself away from observation of the present moment, which is the only real thing to your soul. So you've divided yourself and that division is really painful. Donna suggested that I call the book Undivided, which I loved, but my publisher wouldn't go for it. But that whole idea of being undivided, um, if you just think about going through life undivided, it's not a moral issue. It's just an issue of not being torn from yourself. And waiting tears us from ourselves. So think about something that you've been um, waiting to have happen and you put something off because of it. So, and, and the biggest thing is something like, I will start to enjoy life or live my life once I'm happy again. That sounds really normal. Like you're not feeling good. Wait till you feel good and then be start to enjoy life again. But the fact is that if you come into the present and you say, I'm going to live my life in the midst of whatever I'm feeling, 
there's a richness that develops that is really living instead of just waiting. Just waiting because you're not in the moment and you're the moment that you're focused on has not come yet. You're you're outside of reality and it's actually almost unendurable. And you think that you'll be released from that tension when the thing happens that you're waiting for, but actually you're released from the tension when you come home to yourself in this present moment. So myself, I have avoided a lot of things that I said, okay, and when this happens, I will, for example, start posting on social media again. I have all these things that I'm going to do. I'll start another book. I'll start another painting. I'll start being a better person once something happens. Now, here's the mistake you can make that is sort of what most Americans think of as the opposite of waiting. And that is that instead of waiting, you go out, you do something splendiferous, you do something huge and important and imposing. And this is enough to make you want to stop and wait until hell freezes over. So with me, it's like, I can tell myself, I'm waiting for the sickness to be over, and then I will start doing whatever. But the fact is, that I'm so averse to starting something that big and that difficult for me that I'm actually looking for excuses to put it off. So the waiting becomes cyclical. So when you think after the waiting ends, something big must happen, it will actually put you back into the waiting mode. It will create this little um, self-reinforcing cycle. So here's the way out of this, you guys. And it's the way to start living, even though there are so many things that are sort of on hold. We're in this liminal phase where we were all like caught in the middle of sort of stop action photography when the when the pandemic hit. It's just like, God, everything stopped. And we're like, all right, where do we actually come down? Where, what will we actually be doing for a living? Where, where will we travel? Whom will we visit once we're allowed to again? That's just one example of waiting for something. Um, so the way to come back home to yourself in such a situation is to remember that all action is preceded by two phases. So there are people who there's something called the trans theoretical, um, the trans theoretical model of action. And what it says is that we never actually do anything useful that is big and that is sudden. There are stages that start before the action is taken. And this is how you can start living again. The first stage is called pre-contemplation. And it's when you simply notice that something is lacking or that something is present that you don't want to have. So you notice something dissatisfying. Now, you don't even have to think about changing. The moment you come home to yourself and you say, hmm, there are things like I don't feel as engaged with the world as I feel when I'm actually posting stuff on social media and looking at social media. Sometimes I just drop off it. So I notice, ooh, I'm feeling disconnected, but I'm not even contemplating some big change I have to do. I just notice what's lacking or what's excessive. After a while of noticing that, I'll go into something called con the contemplation stage. The contemplation stage is when I'm going, hmm, I guess I will start posting on social media, but let me actually sit and think about it for a while because I'm not the same person I was when I stopped posting on social media. So who is this person and how does that person want to go about it? So it's kind of self-contemplation and matching the new self that you're always becoming with the action that you plan to take. 
So as you do that, you start to become more present with what you've become because you are never what you were yesterday or the day before. You know, they say you can't step in the same river twice because it's always different water, but the same person can never step in the water twice either because we're always flowing onward and becoming. So if I go, when I start posting on social media, I'll be a different person than I was four weeks ago or whenever I last posted. By contemplating who I am now, I come back into the present moment. So I notice, oh, I wanna be more engaged. I can be present with that feeling. Presence with that feeling makes it, and I've said this over and over again, but I'll just keep saying it. Whenever there's something negative, the way that you hold it so that you can enjoy it, even while you're, for example, in pain or in sorrow, you can start to pay attention to the entirety of your experience. We talked about this uh, last week. I was talking about rest and I talked about how you can, even if your body is in pain, if you can find pleasure in some part of your body just by shrugging your shoulders or loosening your jaw muscle and focus on that pleasure, the the focus of your attention will create a space in which both pain and pleasure are observed. And because there's a choice, there's a richness there. And because it's not all pain, you can start to perceive yourself as the field in which these things are happening, these feelings are occurring. So when you go into the contemplation stage, you are the witness to what you've become and you're the witness to the states that are dissatisfying and you're also the witness to the outer world and the ideas for what might contribute to the change. Now, and by change, I mean beginning the action, getting out of the period of waiting. And it's only after you've done these two steps that you start to actually change behavior so that you're not waiting, you're acting. So action is being completely engaged in something creative. So you could, it could be something very simple like going for a walk. It doesn't have to be an object you create. It could be an event. It is something that takes place either in time, like a walk, or in space, like a walk. They both take place in, <laughs> as a walk. But for example, music takes place in time and uh, a sculpture takes place in space. So you can start to, your actions are always gonna move something either through time or through space. And the moment you're in that, you're no longer in the brain state of anticipating that something is something that is not present. Because to be creative, you have to switch over to the right side of your brain, which doesn't really track time. And if you push yourself to act just slightly ahead of what's easy for yourself, you'll get very engaged. And if you continue to push your action to the point where it becomes somewhat difficult, you might start to enter the brain state called flow, which is when you're completely identified with an action. And that state makes your brain create more dopamine uh, and more serotonin than certainly than waiting. Waiting is a, it's a very anxious, tense, disassociated brain state. So creativity and presence go together. So once you're in action, then you, you can just keep that moving once you've started the um, momentum going on action. So I've, I asked you to think of something that you've been waiting to do. I don't want you to start yet. I want you to contemplate starting it. So move from pre-contemplation where you weren't even thinking about it to just contemplating it, but go no further. 
because you can't jump right into action without the stage of contemplation. So trying to jump into action too soon, again, splits you from the moment. So go into contemplation, witness yourself planning to do something, and you're already entering the state of creativity. And when you've contemplated enough that the, net, the, the, the action step feels doable, make sure it's very small. Um, I always keep turtles around to remind me that you always take small, slow steps. That's the other thing. Keep it as, as um, Rowan and I were recording a podcast, and it's it called In Praise of Lower, Slower, and Weaker, which is the opposite of the original Olympic motto, higher, faster, stronger. Because lower, slower, and weaker, if you aim lower, slower, and weaker, you tend to ask less of yourself, and so you start going into action, and it's easier. And, and slowly, slowly, you move along. And everything I've ever done in my life has been done because I got tired of waiting, went into contemplation, and then started taking very, very, very small steps. So all of this, this, this whole turtle way of life, boils down to being incredibly relaxed, which connects with what we did last week. You get very relaxed and then you notice your experience in the moment, which leads you to a contemplation, but it's not a waiting for something in the future, which leads you into action, which is purposeful, but it's not focused only on an end goal. It's focused on process. So then, then the momentum of your life has started and things begin to come your way. Stuff starts to happen. And this watch this week, if you contemplate an action for a long time and then start taking slow steps, the world comes to meet you. So if you take one step in the direction of your dreams, they say the universe takes a thousand steps toward you. So you don't have to sit with your knuckles clenched waiting for the right time. And you don't have to leap into something massive that is aversive and impossible to do. If you just gradually slip in this way from waiting into action, life picks you up and starts to carry you places. <clears throat> and this ultimately becomes a very profound spiritual experience. And it's very different from the way we typically wait for things to happen and then try to make them happen fast. So I hope this is useful and I was also hoping to get some questions from you that would allow us to have an interesting conversation. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well. It turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. So let's look at the comments here. Um, hmm. Oh, Marcia says, this is funny. Earlier this week, I was wondering if I should continue studying for my financial exam, seeing that we may enter a depression soon. That's a really interesting um, example of the contemplation phase. You, you observe something, you got a piece of news, there may be a depression soon. 
And instead of going, oh my God, I hope the depression doesn't last long. I'm going to wait till then. You immediately started contemplating a response. And now if you continue to contemplate it and it's the right thing to do, you'll find yourself sliding into action. And it is a kind of sliding sensation. It's not pushing. And in this way, the force that moves all things will move you into your right life. Okay. Um, Donna says, I'm always waiting for my to-do list to be completed so I can just breathe and enjoy. The problem is that the list is never ending. How true that is. And that, that list, the tyranny of the list is something really powerful in societies that have written language <laughs> because we can write things down um, and then hold them for the future. We actually climb out of present mind and into future mind. And the future is always at the end of something written the list is something written and it never, ever, ever ends. So I, I remember talking to a friend who was dying once and I said to her, isn't it kind of amazing? You've got one thing left on your to-do list, just one. And she said, because there's only one thing left on my list, which is to die, I'm actually living now. I've stopped waiting for, to get the list finished. So I'm just, as she said, I'm just with my children. I'm with my animals. I'm with my breath. I'm with the light on the walls. And she said, I, I'm, I'm actually falling in love with everyone and everything because I've stopped working on a list. And how tragic it is that she had to get to that point, but how beautiful it was that she actually dropped the list and embraced her life. Let's do that before we're dying. How about? Okay, Elizabeth says, how can you tell when you're tearing from yourself because you're not present and when you're tearing because you're growing? The tearing of growing always feels like um, an adventure. It always feels, and, and there can be real effort to it, but it's a feeling of appetite. When you're growing, there's a, there's a, the, the Thomas, Dylan Thomas called it, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. There's something in us that wants to grow. And so if you're contemplating something and the action comes through and it feels like must do, that's a really divinely inspired action. And you will end up doing things that are hard because of that feeling. You'll end up doing things that if you just relaxed and were present and nothing was pushing through you to grow, you would probably never do anything that hard when you're doing something that's right for you and you stop doing it because it's too hard you feel that tearing sensation i can't be my real i cannot stop this i felt that when i tried to stop writing because i thought it was stupid to try to be a writer in this day and age and it wasn't even this day and age it was a couple decades ago but it was hard and there was nobody nobody wanted me to write nobody cared if i wrote a memoir and so i tried to stop and give up on that dream and the tearing sensation was horrifying and i had to start right away again and then at least i felt that sense of flow um so often it's the growing that pushes the action and if you try to stop and you feel the terror you have to keep going it's an excellent point okay um so linda says do you feel like there's a risk of falling into martyrdom if you don't move out of waiting that, Linda, is such a, an excellent point because you make yourself, the moment you start to wait, you make yourself a victim of the circumstance that has not happened yet, right? Like, if only this would happen, then I could. 
is a statement of inability and victimization by the circumstance. And that is the, you know, you look at anybody who's uh, in a state of martyrdom or narcissism or sociopathy, they always have that story that something's happened to them and they're unable to move forward. So if you feel that way, don't push yourself to act, but start to contemplate more aggressively. <laughs> contemplate what you want the environment to look like and then see how you can work around it or work with it. And as you start to move into the action phase after pre-contemplation and contemplation, the circumstance will begin to seem as if it's helping you. This is the magic that I can't explain and I can't really describe how it's going to happen for you. When you stop waiting, these little miracles come that urge you forward. And um, I would love to hear some of the stories that come out of you when you start doing that because they are, you wouldn't believe them if they didn't happen to you. Okay. Um, somebody loves turtles. <laughs> okay, Brett says, my whole life I've been trained to never surrender ever. In fact, it was ingrained in me, death before surrender. Imagine what I thought when I learned on my journey, uh, of what I thought when I learned on my journeys when Jessica said, you need, you need to learn to surrender completely. Pain is one of the most powerful builders of wisdom. That's a really interesting point, Brett. One of the things that is most counterintuitive about the action phase is that it takes place when we surrender and not, um, not when we get strength and we can like overmaster our environment. If you go into pre-contemplation by being present with your real feelings, that's a surrender because you're surrendering the resistance to feeling things resistance to feeling that something's lacking. Um, so when you pre-contemplation in presence is surrender. Then when you say, I'm going to contemplate what I'm doing, it's a surrender to witnessing what's incomplete. And when you go into action, it's actually a surrender to the urge, the divine, um, the divine presence that is trying to push you forward. Okay. So, um, Donna says, how do you move to contemplation um, when the pre-contemplation fills you with dissatisfaction that is grounded in blame and shame? Super simple. Blame and shame can be surrendered by forgiveness. You say, instead of saying, oh, I'm such a, you know, look what I didn't do. Look at what I haven't done yet. Look at what I am not yet becoming. Um, you just say, you know what? I didn't get to that and that's okay. It's all right. One of my proudest moments as a person was when I heard my little, when my second daughter was little, she said, uh, she was talking to a friend and I heard her say, you know what? I was upset about the fact that I'm only four, but then, but my mom is a life coach. And she said, it's okay to just be what you are. So now it's okay that I'm only four. So by forgiving yourself and do it in words, say out loud, I have not yet done this, but that's okay. Oh my God, I'm 85 years old and I've never like written a song. Okay, that's okay. Say it out loud. That's okay. The world is still a wonderful place and you can still write a song. Just let yourself off the hook and do it very actively, even if you don't necessarily believe it. This is one place where saying the actual words can actually start to move your brain state. 
Um, um, to do, Jessica says, how about tips for switching back to creative contemplation when the brain pushes for quick completion? That's another thing you have to surrender and forgive yourself for. If there's urgency, if there's anxiety, then you know that that's not integrity. Integrity always feels like, oh, it always feels simple. It always feels complete. It's always in this moment. There's never anything about it that's anxious or that there's no pushing forward or pulling back in regret. It's always just observation. So when something's pushing toward quick completion, it's, all, it's always going to be anxiety. Sometimes maybe anger as well. It's not going to be positive. And you need to take a breath, you know, like relax, say to yourself, it's okay that this action hasn't happened yet. It's completely okay that you haven't done this yet. And I'm going to take one step, then reward myself somehow. This is, I'm glad that just popped into my head too, because the moment you take that first step, even if it's a, the step is contemplating, give yourself something as a reward. My favorite thing lately is I've been going on, just type into Google, best of the internet, and you put in a year, and different people compile their favorite video clips of usually animals and people falling down. Um, but I find many of them delightful. They have whales. So I give myself times to look at those when I've done something that I think is impressive, <laughs> like contemplating maybe perhaps someday leaving the house. So yeah, surrender the urge for quick completion and then reward yourself for the slightest little action. So Pam says, what if you're waiting for your right life, but you're actually in it and don't realize it? That is so true. Pam, if you are waiting for your right life, if any of us is waiting for our right life, we have failed to notice that we're in it right now. This whole thing, this becalmed and strange and contentious environment in which we find ourselves is our perfect life. And awakening, enlightenment, is not so much many say, any kind of burst of transcendent wisdom as it is simply noticing that this is perfect as it is, and that your soul is creating the experience it wanted to have right now, right here. It's all just fine. So noticing that can be primed by saying it. This is, it's kind of interesting because as I talk through this, there are a lot of things, I'm not a big fan of saying affirmations if they don't feel true, but forgiving yourself out loud and giving yourself kind wishes out loud and saying to yourself out loud, this precise experience, this pain, this disappointment, this stagnation, this is what I'm meant to experience. Um, Roe the Gracious Badger always says, uh, I don't know who quoted this originally, but she's always saying, a hundred years before you were born, God drew a circle around the place where you're standing now. This exact moment, us together doing the gathering room, this is what our souls have chosen, and it's perfect. And if we all died in a nuclear holocaust like that, we go, that was exactly what we were meant to be doing when we all got snuffed out like candles. I really believe that. And if you, if you awaken to that in any given moment, you don't have to wait until the time of your death. Okay, Ada says, uh, Martha, how do you get out of the fear of failure mentality? I've been going through this for years and I'm so sick of it. I get up the nerve to do something and it goes right back to fear mode. Well, Ida, I have never gotten over that. I'm always a little afraid to do pretty much anything. Um, yesterday I wrote a newsletter and I called it 
in praise of small, small brave things. Because all I've ever managed in my whole life is to take little steps because I'm really not, I'm not a person of physical stamina or energy. So I always can only do little things. And pretty much everything I do frightens me. <laughs> I'm very, I'm a very fear prone personality. And I'm always afraid I'll fail constantly. The key is to just keep, you pre-contemplate, you contemplate and you go into action even though you're afraid. You notice the joy and the pleasure that is available to you, even with the fear present, and you have a much more complete experience. And from there, you can just act. And most of what I do fails. And some of what I do succeeds. And all of it is perfect for my soul. And even the things we call successes are going to be, you know, they'll be gone in a heartbeat. You know, nothing's going to last. But the experience of doing it, of the failure of the success, all of that is what we're here to learn. And there's a joy in that, even when you're still scared. And finally, Sylvia says, what if I feel the flow and pull, but anytime I get into action, I feel blocks are at every turn. Could it be a timing thing? It could be a timing thing, or it could be a misperception of what you're meant to be doing. For example, um, I quit academia and I was like, I hate the faculty politics. Yay, I'm gonna be a writer. But I didn't get published. I didn't get published. I had no money. I was deep in debt. And then I got a job teaching at a business school. And I am uh, back with academia again. And I loved it. And I was so confused. I was like, but this was the wrong thing. No, because I was teaching at a business school full of wonderful students who were into international travel more than anything. It was an international university or business school. So they ended up pulling me in the direction of life coaching. And if I had succeeded as an author yet, I would not have ever done that. And I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. So the timing was fine. I was meant to start writing when I started writing. Didn't succeed, didn't succeed. Stopped teaching when I was meant to stop teaching. Then got pulled into teaching again when it was time to do that. And then things got published. So all of this, you guys, is like a big Rubik's cube that the universe is trying to solve. And if you've ever solved the Rubik's cube, you know it's this cube with faces that you have to arrange. You have to get it very, very out of alignment in order to get the algorithms right to put it together. And it's almost as if the universe is trying to move this Rubik's cube of your life and it doesn't look rational to you and you can't think it through. It's too complex. But if you do, if you wait, you will suffer through the whole thing. So instead of waiting, whatever you're waiting for, contemplate the state of waiting and be present in it. And then start contemplating what you could do differently and be present with that. And then notice when the tiniest little step becomes available to you and slide into it and just notice how that feels. And then move from one little step to another and your whole life will go forward that way and you will never ever have to wait for anything to happen again. So now I'm gonna go not wait for the gathering room to happen again. <laughs> I've kept you a little bit over time. It's so wonderful to see you all, see your beautiful names, your beautiful questions, your beautiful faces. And I will be thinking of all of you until I see you again. Bye for now.
It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. I love gathering with all you beautiful people every week on The Gathering Room, but lately I've wanted to do some actual gathering. (laughs) And my favorite way to gather is to go someplace wild with a few friends and tap into our true nature. So in January 2025, my partner, the gracious badger Rowan Mangan, and I are running a retreat in the lush wilds of Costa Rica. The retreat is called Pure Wild Self, and Ro and I will be teaching you ways of shedding the layers of culture that keep us from being our truest selves. It is going to be so much fun. And if you feel the pull, it may just change your life. These things always change mine. So if you'd like to come play, learn, and create with us, please go to marthabeck.com slash retreat and find out more.